Hey there, welcome to the Student to CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Mason. We're talking to entrepreneurs who launched their business at a young age, and they're now killing the game. Tune in to our episodes as these guests spill the dirt on taking that leap into entrepreneurship just like they did. Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode of the Student to CEO Podcast. I'm so excited to have Noah Mintz joining us today. Noah is the brain behind and chief of Nannies by Noah, the company she founded when she was just 12 years old after deciding to turn her natural talent for matchmaking and her NYC savvy sensibility into a thriving business. Now 20, Noah has appeared in many prominent places, including NBC's Today Show, The Steve Harvey Show, BBC Radio, The New York Post, Forbes, and more. When she isn't growing the business, Noah is a consultant for companies of various sizes and nonprofits and is pursuing a degree in cognitive cognitive neuroscience at Brown University. Noah, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to talk to you. Likewise, I'd love if you could start off by sharing with our listeners what you do and what led you there. Sure. So I feel like every time I reflect on what I do, it like the story kind of changes. Um, but I'll try to give you a quick rundown. So um, I grew up in New York, as you mentioned, uh, and I was always just a very curious person, like a curious learner, a curious friend, just curious all around. And I had a lot of questions. Um, and, you know, now that I've worked with kids, questions can be super annoying, but also with the right adults in your life. Um, who can respond to those questions and engage in conversations with you, it can really build character. And so I was lucky that my parents and the adults in my life were always, or almost always willing to, when I had questions about the world and my environment, they were willing to kind of like explore them with me. Um, And the questions I had would range from, you know, why are there only buses, you know, New York City buses every five minutes or how come, you know, taxis do this, very New York, ask things. Um, and I also was just often not wanting to like socialize with my peers always. I love more interesting. And so I like loved all the caregivers and parents of my friends. And I would kind of snoop into the conversations they were having. And kids pick up on more than um, we sometimes give them credit for. And I picked up on some of um, the stressors and the dilemmas that people that people were facing, especially the caregivers about, oh, you know, my boss came home late last night. Um, I'm having this issue. And I was just, I liked that. I was, I mean, I felt bad for them that they were dealing with these stressful situations, but I was compelled by hearing how people were navigating these issues. Um, That's a high level overview. That's not how I thought about it when I was like seven years old. Um, But looking back, I think that's kind of what was going on in my head. Um, And so I'm one of four kids. I'm the oldest. Um, and, you know, running around the city with four kids is not easy. So my mom um, and my dad had support from babysitters and nannies throughout uh, my childhood. Um, and it's a really intense job. You know, you're working in a home in my family. Someone was working with my parents. My mom um, was home. She wasn't working full time. Um, and so it's super intimate and super intense. And um I picked up on people's attitudes about the job, right? It was clear some people did not want to be 
um, doing this. Or some people didn't want to be working with older kids. They wanted to work with babies. And I would always say to my mom, you know, part of this curiosity, where are you like finding these babysitters? Like they don't seem, you know, some of them are awesome. Some of them don't want to be here. And she would, at a certain point was like, if you're going to have issues with this, deal with it on your own. And by this point I was about 12. Um, and so I went online and how, you know, I made a job description posted um, and I forced my mom to meet with a few people that I found online and she ended up hiring one of them. Um, and it was a joke and something that she told her friends about and people were like, I'll have Noah do this for me because the truth is people were tired of the way that they were having to source nannies and the people who were matching them up. A lot of the agencies were so worried about their commission and they weren't really um, em emphasizing kind of the profoundness of this work and that it's not just about does the person match up on paper or do they have the right experience, but are they compatible to be in this home in terms of personality and values? So people were willing to give me a shot. Um, they wanted a raw and fresh perspective. Um, and so I helped a few people and I think I'm my story is a little bit different than some people in that it wasn't that I identified a problem, found a solution and then made a business plan and implemented that solution. Um, I accidentally, you know, helped my mom in a way that I kind of was just winging and people were compelled by that. And I realized there was demand and, you know, as more people were interested, I, you know, made a list or I started storing phone numbers of babysitters I knew in my phone. And I, you know, was kind of in survival mode, right? I was, um, when the business or when the little thing I was doing uh, needed new infrastructure, I would, you know, kind of run and try to set it up, um, which is a really cool way to start a business, but not so sustainable. And I think um, what I'm glad that a lot of entrepreneurs do is they, I don't know if I want to call it preventative, but they anticipate demand and they set mm -hmm. up systems ahead of time. That's not what I did. And, um, you know, it taught me a lot. I think I learned a lot more that way, but it also probably set me back in some ways, but um, that's kind of the core of what I was doing. I was just keep trying to keep up and stay afloat. Um, and so with that, you know, mindset, more and more people were interested. Um, and there are so many resources online. I spent days on Wix making a website, you know, and then I didn't know how search engine optimization worked. So somehow people I didn't know were reaching out. And then I had all these great app applicants and I realized I needed someone to help me interview. So that was my mindset. Like a new issue would come up and I would immediately try to figure out how to solve it. And I would trial and error a lot. Um, but the truth is that through that, I learned so much of what doesn't work and why. Um, and that allows me now to troubleshoot. And so the business grew and we got to a point where it was obvious that kind of scrambling wasn't sustainable, but I needed help. I was at this point um, going to high school. My parents are super supportive and were then as well. But as teachers started saying, you know, Noah's sitting in class on her computer, not doing classwork, where's her homework? Um, my parents are like, something's gonna have to change. Either you stop this or you get help. And I remember saying like, well, what do you mean help? They're like, that's for you to decide. And I was like, that's for you to decide. Like, <laughs> it was just back and forth. Um, and it was for me to decide. And so I hired a CEO who was actually a nanny who worked with me. Um, and as the business became more established and we collaborated, um, we got you know a lot of national and international attention. Um, and 
which brought up kind of new questions and um, rethinking the purpose of the business and the business plan. Um, and, you know, since then, um, I've had our second CEO for it's our five year anniversary this year. And I mean, the growth, I could go into the details, the nitty gritty of the growth, but I mean, it's unbelievable how far we've come from when I started high school and hired my first CEO to now. Um, I think our identity was really, oh, that New York teen um, who seems to be able to find really great nannies. And now we're actually a really well-regarded agency that respects the, you know, both parties in the search, the families and the nannies, and also happens to have been started by a teen, you know? So um, the way that people identify our brand has evolved and that's awesome. Um, and, you know, I think as I've grown, the business has grown too um, in many ways. So that's kind of the Nannies by Noah story. Um, and obviously I learned a lot about how to do certain things and how not to do certain things. And I think that latter, how not to do certain things um, gives me a really interesting angle in terms of advising others who are starting businesses or who are not sure where to go next. Um, so I really enjoyed both informally and formally advising um, different organizations, both for-profit and nonprofit, um, and giving kind of a raw and candid um, and practical approach um, and non-judgmental, you know, no one's perfect. And I think that when you're an entrepreneur, it's so personal that you're actually more bound to make mistakes. Um, and so working with someone, when I work with people, I think it's important to emphasize that it's okay to make mistakes and right. failure is okay. Um, so that's, so now, um, you know, our team has grown. I have an awesome um, staff that runs the business full time. I kind of now focus more on growth and overseeing. Um, and my CEO, Joe Barrow, really runs the day to day and manages just an incredible team um, that really makes it happen. And that took a while to get to that point. And it's a point that I'm privileged to be at that I can step back um, and know that it's going to be okay. There's a sense of wanting to be needed. Um, you know, you want to feel like people need you and they need your expertise and your time. And at times I'm like, shoot, I wish they kind of needed me and relied on me more. But at the same time, <laughs> right. I'm proud. And I think it actually speaks to the people behind the business and the way in which I built it, that they don't need me and that totally. I can, you know, add value sometimes, but they don't always need me. Um, and I'll stop there. I probably went on way too long, but I get very excited <laughs> talking just about- As you should. <laughs> yeah, all of this. Um, yeah, so well, I mean, I yeah. think your just story is so amazing, especially because one thing that really stood out to me is the fact that you took your own experience and built a business around it by seeing all of the nannies and babysitters that you had with your family and realizing that some were really great and some not so much. And I mean, me being a babysitter myself, of course, not anymore, but I can totally relate too. It's like you find a family and it's not like most of the time, you, it's not just a one-off thing. You end up staying with them. I was with- multiple right. families for like eight to 10 years. And once I officially stopped and moved on to my full-time career, um, they were like, well, what are we going to do now? We don't know where to find someone. And so it just right. goes to show that Nannies by Noah is something that's so valued. Well, I mean, I think that's kind of why I love it. Um, I love working with people. And I think that 
one of the things I've struggled with as an entrepreneur is staying connected to the people that we're helping um, and reminding myself that I may not be, you know, in the homes, working with the kids and seeing my own eyes, the impact that my company can have on our customers and our, the nannies and we call them candidates we work with. Um, but I think that the reason that I still love it is because um, even if I'm not there, this is such, uh, I, I want to say, say sacred industry, you know, like a child's growth is huge. Um, and the home, I think, is the most intimate place in, I was going to say the country, but in the world, like that's our safe place. And inviting someone in to your family and, you know, into your home is a really, like, can be a scary thing. Um, and so I think that I'm glad that I was, you know, fell into this industry because it's one where I can still um, appreciate and trust that I am making a difference in a really, I keep using the word intimate, it's the best way to describe it, mm. intimate, um, you know, area, but I can also continue to do business stuff and sit, you know, sit from home and, or sit at school or sit at a desk and get things done. Um, that's been always a hard thing for me that I love working with people. And um, oftentimes in entrepreneurship, um, just kind of success is measured by how, how distant are you from like the product or the service? Like you wanna kind of, if you think of it as a hierarchy, I think a lot of times people assume that success is when you're at the top and overseeing everyone below you. So you're not actually in the weeds. Um, and for me, A, I don't think that's what's, you know, success doesn't have to be like that, but B, um, I think that to succeed, there is this sort of need to remove yourself and, um, that's really hard. Um, yes. so I, I'll stop saying this, but I'll just reiterate. I'm, I mean, I'm privileged to like get to work with such incredible families who value how important this industry is and candidates that take so much pride in their work. It's a real labor of love for them. But I also just feel privileged that um, I enjoy the work and that I believe, and I think many believe it's important stuff um, because I think we're, you're human. And as much as we'd like to think that, you know, we don't need kind of reinforcement and reward, human nature, just like any species, we thrive off reward and reward can be just knowing you make made a difference and you have an impact um, and that your actions and your efforts um, are helping someone. I think that's reinforcement. And so I admit I'm human. I need that reinforcement. And I feel fortunate that I still get it um, knowing that I, I hope we're making a difference. Totally. And I know that one thing that you mentioned is that you, what you really struggled with was staying connected to the people who are helping you. And so outside of that, would you say that there was anything else that was the most difficult part of starting your business while young? I mean, I think it was tricky. Like it was so hard. And I think um, I mentioned before just that there's such an, you know, an emotional component to being an entrepreneur. Um, and I think that there's this notion that a good entrepreneur lives and breathes their work. Like I hate the way that we've kind of um, romanticized hustling, right? Hustling is great, don't get me wrong. But I think that we have this warped image that to be successful, you have to hustle. And what that hustling is meant to be is, 
you know, killing yourself, not sleeping, um, not taking care of yourself, um, you know, pouring your emotions in and letting everything mean something in a really intense way. And I think that is such a wrong way to just think about how to be successful. I actually don't think it works. I think it is, if anything, it sets you up for failure. But I also just think that um, the expectation and of what an entrepreneur needs to do to be successful and to make it is just so wrong. Um, and I kind of fell into that. I was like, look at me, I'm, I'm amazing. I'm a hard worker. I have a good work ethic because I'm not sleeping, because I'm not taking care of myself, because my emotion is in it. And I think that finding the balance of caring and having emotion, but not, um, you know, acting by emotion is important, right? If you act by emotion, which is something I struggled with, then you're not necessarily coming from a rational place. You're not thinking about the business in um, the, the grand scheme of things. You're thinking about yourself and how you're gonna make it work. Um, so I think something I struggled with was A, I was young. So I took the, I was, sen I was more sensitive probably than the average entrepreneur who's already sensitive and fragile um, because there's a lot at stake and a lot of responsibility. But I think, um, so it was especially harder because I was young and speaking to people older than me can be daunting. Um, but I think definitely it, I'll be honest, the, the, the kind of need or the notion that I had to hustle and that was the only way this was gonna work. And that was how I proved myself, prove myself to who I don't know, maybe prove myself to myself, but that was so destructive, I think. Um, mm. And I think it took me a while to almost recover from, you know, like I actually, in eighth grade, I left my school in the middle of the year and I had to be, you know, I had to switch to another school because I just was not able to, you know, function because I just cared too much. Um, and I think that the truth is um, there is no nine to five when you're an entrepreneur and that's okay. But um, your commitment shouldn't be measured by the amount of time you put in. You know, it's real quality over quantity. Um, and I didn't believe that for a while. Um, so I think that I would just say the emotional toll of it for many reasons, not just this whole need to hustle, but that I was young, that I was struggling in school, um, that I, you know, was, you know, going through growing up and that's really hard. Um, and that I wasn't just selling a product and then saying bye to customers, but I was in the midst of, you know, parents who are just having their first child, parents who are stressed about having childcare coverage, candidates who are concerned about getting employment. You know, when you're in those important moments, people are stressed and they're emotional. And so they're not trying, you know, when you speak to a customer or a candidate, um, you know, they're not your friends and hopefully they treat you with respect, but, um, you know, it's just, it's not always a pleasant conversation. And you have to remember that you're the, you know, you're serving them. Um, and so you can't take things personally. I always say you want a friend by a dog. So I think mm -hmm. that just the intensity of the work and the emotions involved um, with my customers, you know, because it was such an, an important process for them was so hard to kind of carry that weight. Um, yeah, I mean, I could go honestly on about all the struggles, but I'll stop there because I think that's one that isn't spoken about enough. And, you know, I actually have never seen an article discuss um, entrepreneur burnout. 
I mean, I'm sure they're out there, but it's not a hot topic the way others are. Um, and that's a right. bummer because I've spoken to other people and I'm not the only one who went through this. Um, so well, That's I mean, why- just from like what you're saying, I mean, I can totally relate. So it's just so ironic because I rem- I started my company over four years ago when I was 19. And so exactly what you're saying about hustling, I felt like I had to hustle to prove myself to others because I faced so right. many doubts from people of, can you really do this? Why are you doing this? Shouldn't you get a corporate job? All of this stuff. So I felt like I had to hustle to not only prove myself to others, but I also was super scared that I wouldn't end up being like being able to take my business full time upon graduating like I wanted to and what you mentioned too about having a hard time of like transitioning out of that hustle is so relatable I mean I graduated from college a year and a half ago and have been full-time ever since but I'm just now finally being like okay I need to really take a step back and breathe and not feel like I need to work all the time I mean it's so hard, but like you said, it's so true. And also too, what you mentioned, I mean, you said some great stuff about feeling so, um, really like feeling so bogged down by the emotions that your clients or customers are bringing on and things they're, they're, things they're stressing about and whatnot. And I know I can definitely relate to that too, where it's like, you just get so caught up in feelings and whatnot that it can end up really being a huge weight on you. Right. Totally. And I think, Um, something that actually I, a lot of things I was so young that I didn't have the vocabulary or the context of the world to really appreciate when I was going through it. So for example, I was talking earlier about my curiosity, like trusting my mind was not when I was five and in lower school, I was not thinking about, wow, this curiosity is great. And my parents are fostering it. Like that's me kind of reflecting similarly looking back, um, because I think in the moment, I was just like going and I wasn't thinking about it. I also feel like as a woman, um, you know, there are some actual, um, I think, issues with like explicitly women being, um, having a harder time, um, you know, by the way people treat us or expectations. But I think internally, because of the way our world works, I felt a desire that I needed to work harder because I was a woman. And I've always been, I've always thought that I've always been a, you know, up until recently thought, no, this is not about being a woman. This is just like, I'm an entrepreneur like everyone else. I had trouble kind of thinking of myself as a woman entrepreneur because I was like, why kind of highlight being different and, or not different, but just being a woman. Like I'm like everyone else. I, it's hard to articulate, but I just felt that. And looking back, I just think that, um, it's not stupid to say that as a woman, we've been raised to feel like we have to do more to make our, make a point and to be taken seriously. Um, And that's a real bummer. And I think obviously it's, you can't just say to yourself, don't do it. It's about the way that people treat you and um, just your interactions with the world. And I think our world has to do a better job of supporting women to not think that they have to work harder, you know, working harder is a different thing, but working harder because you're a woman, that's just so messed up and right. um, something that needs to like be changed. Like a lot of things in our world right now. And I couldn't agree with you more, but one thing I want to ask you now on the opposite end of that, um, in the opposite end of the most difficult part of starting your business, what was the most rewarding? I think, um, 
I remember it must have been like the summer of 2013. So like I say, I kind of started the business August 2012. Um, but yet again, it wasn't like on this day, August 5th, 2012 at 12 p.m. I officially was a business. It was very just like naturally going. And that's kind of when it became a thing. So um, I would say August 2013, so about a year in, um, I had connected people, like just kind of been like, here, reach out to this person, but I hadn't really, it was the first time that I had worked with someone from start to finish on their search. So helping them like, you know, what are you, what are you looking for in a nanny? Tell me, um, you know, your hopes, let me help you draft the job description and let me like really be intimately involved in the process. So like, I really saw it out from start to finish as opposed to just referring people. And um, that person hired someone um, and I remember going up to my dad and giggling. Like I was like a kid. I was like, daddy, guess what? I like so-and-so just hired someone. <laughs> I got someone a job and I was like, like, it was like an excited giggle. Like, oh my God, I'm young, but I just got someone a job. And I remember the nanny writing me a thank you note and being, you know, thank you for me and my family. It's been so hard to find a job and you made me feel so valued. And I was like, whoa, um, A, this isn't just about the client, right? Like the candidate is, that's the person representing you. Um, and they're putting themselves out there to find employment um, and recognizing that moment that my customer, I use the word customer, but the truth is my, I have two different customers, the candidates and the parents um, mm. and recognizing that I could help both and like make a connection, you know, um, being like kind of a liaison a nanny agent that I could have such an impact is just was incredible, especially at a young age. Um, and I think the most rewarding part is knowing that people are employed and knowing that families feel taken care of. Um, I hope, you know, a lot of our clients um, are first time parents. So they come to an agency for various reasons, but especially because they want to make sure that they're getting the utmost quality and they're nervous, like, you know, but they want to, they, a lot of, a lot of women will call and say, um, we're debating if I should go back to work because I feel like I should stay home. Um, but I'm going to decide once I figure out if I can find a nanny I trust. And so, especially in those situations, like having moms who had awesome careers and dads who are then comfortable going back to work because there's someone who can be in the home with their child and be a partner in the child's growth is also exciting um, because, you know, it's this indirect effect. Maybe that person was a doctor and now she can go back to work or he can go back to work and continue healing people. So that in this domino effect um, is really beautiful and cool to be a small part of. Yes. I mean, you're making an impact in two different ways, exactly as you mentioned, because you have two different customers. You have the parents slash the families and you have the candidates. And so knowing that you're putting a new like new parents or new family at ease with the fact that you're providing them with a quality nanny, but also with the nannies, knowing that they're able to support themselves and their families with their jobs. Exactly. No, you nailed it. Exactly. You, you said what I just said probably in 10 minutes in like 30 <laughs> seconds. So yes, everything you just said, yes.
(laughs) Absolutely. And so one thing that I want to ask you, Noah, since you've been doing this for the past eight years, what do you think led to your success? I mean, I know you kind of mentioned a few things from being able to hire your first CEO and now be on the second and things like that. But what do you think led to having this success with building an amazing agency and also getting the national and international recognition? So I know I've been giving so many anecdotes and like long answers, but like this one, I think I actually do have to give, and I'll try to keep it quick background for, um, because I was actually thinking about this right before we got on. Um, I think that when I was younger, I loved dry bar. It's this hair salon and they said, getting your hair blown out is just like kind of a hassle why don't we make it fun and give you drinks and food and have music and have a menu of hairstyles, right? And they've been wildly successful. And I was always drawn by that model because what they did was they took something that's been done forever. It's getting your hair done is not like a new thing and they made it better, right? And so entrepreneurship isn't inventing a product that doesn't exist. It's um, it almost all the time is taking something that we do or that we need or we use and refining it and making it better. And um, I think that part of my success was that um, as much as I wanted to be innovative, I also recognized that, um, you know, being successful isn't about being new, um, like having something totally different, meaning like I didn't have to invent a new way to get childcare in your home but I could take the existing systems and make them better. Um, But then I always felt this heaviness of, well, I'm an entrepreneur. How am I an entrepreneur? How am I different, you know, an entrepreneur and a business owner? Am I only a business owner if I'm not doing it in a cutting edge, innovative way? No, because um, being an entrepreneur is learning and absorbing how things are done adapting those things and making them better. And I think people are like, that's not entrepreneurship. It is, it really is. Um, Look, I didn't invent a nanny agency, it existed. But I also didn't say, well, I'm not gonna, you know, I need to be different to the point that it's not gonna work. Like I recognize my customers only wanted something so innovative. So I was willing to not be too crazy and stick to the basics. So I think that a lot of times entrepreneurs where they kind of go wrong is they're so desperate to be different that it ends up being too complicated, not what the customer wants and not sustainable. Um, And so I think a lot of people are like, oh, you're young. Why haven't you like invented a new way to do this? And I'm like, because the truth is my customers don't want that. It's not the customers. So I think my ability to um, be innovative and creative, but willing to, you know, do things um, in existing ways, even if they're boring or not cool or sexy, that's been really helpful that I don't rush it. Like I'll, I do what I need to do for my customers and to grow the business and for my candidates, but I don't do it for the sake of being different. Um, Being different is important. And then that's not the point I'm trying to convey. I just think that um, like you have to have purpose for being different. Um, my purpose is just making figuring out the best way to help people. And if there's certain uh, components of doing that that already exist that work, great, I'll build on that. I'm not gonna reinvent the wheel. 
I think exactly what you said is so true because what it reminds me of is that oftentimes as entrepreneurs, we think that we need to have these products or services that have all these bells and whistles, but really we we need to listen to what the client or customer wants. Sometimes the client or customer doesn't want all those bells and whistles. They just want something that will solve their problem. And so exactly exactly like you said, when people get so caught up with just... Um, trying to make things even bigger and better and more amazing. They almost lose sight of why they were doing it in the first place and kind of get caught up in it all. And so I think exactly what you mentioned of not trying to necessarily do something like different or more involved or anything like that, but just really thinking about how you can take something that's already been done and pretty much add your own touch to it. Exactly. And you know what, all the businesses, I think like there's kind of the businesses that we all hear about because they're great at marketing or they're on, their founders have great stories. All the ones that come to my mind is kind of being hot right now are the ones that I've been drawn to. They didn't invent a product. You know, like I think that we're in a point where um, entrepreneurship is embracing this, um, like, you know, refine, like I, reinventing the wheel is hard because I guess you could call it reinventing the wheel, but it's really refining the mm. wheel. Um, for example, there's um, Glossier, right? Okay, like we've worn lipstick forever, but it's never been like hip. I don't like I Glossier. I am not so familiar with, but or um, away suitcases. Like when was traveling like luggage? Like their none of their luggage has I I own some of their luggage. It's not that it's a like a different piece of a different way to carry your stuff. It's still luggage. It's still a suitcase, right? But it's just they made what the customer want. It doesn't like light up. It's, I think they have some Bluetooth thing, but it's not like this elaborate thing, but they marketed it well. They listened to what customers wanted and it's worked so well. Um, so I think uh, if you just look, you know, history repeats itself, I think, and in entrepreneurship too, what businesses have historically succeeded? Right now, a lot of the ones that are succeeding are the ones that um, are refining a service or product. And I think that people need to be willing to look at spaces that already, um, like you look at industries that may feel like there's no room for innovation, but any industry that feels like there's no room for innovation means there is room for innovation, you know? Like that means that there's a desire to refine it um, as opposed to waiting for something that's never been done before to come to your mind. I think the worst thing you can do, people will say to me, like, can we meet? I really want to become an entrepreneur and I'm, I'm desperate to come up with ideas and problems I need to solve. And that's such a bad way to do it. Um, I think just observing the world and identifying where there might be room for growth and refinement as opposed to brand new novel things is a way better uh, way to get, you know, get into entrepreneurship and business and developing something. So true. It's like when you go searching for the opportunities, you never find them, but when you're not searching, the best ones come. (laughs) Exactly. Right. I think um, it's no coincidence that um, a lot of successful businesses, their founders or their founding team members um, were the, are the ideal customer, right? Because they didn't just like, I, I know that there's like, people who will do things like, let me go survey a demographic that I'm not even a part of just to see what they need. And then like, let me desperately look at what I kind of observe and see what I could squeeze out of the business. And those don't end up being successful. The ones that do are when 
a problem occurs or something, you know, comes up and there's a way that you want to um, dive into that. And um, I think that there are also a lot of successful businesses where the founders are not the customers, but they kind of, um, you know, became uh, absorbed in that demographic or that issue in a really like, in a very deep way that allowed them to really do something cool. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but I just no, think absolutely. Um, it's such a personal thing that I'm not saying you have to be your target demographic, but you have to be willing to really dive into that target demographic if you're not a part of it to really do it well. 100%. Noah, one thing that I really want to ask you is that if there is one thing you wish you did differently or one thing you know now that you wish you knew then, what would it be and why? Oh my God, there's so many things I wish I did differently, but um, every time like I do, you know, like an interview for an article or I do like a panel, every time I'm asked some variation of this question, I give a different answer um, because there isn't one piece, but I find that depending on what's been going on in my life and in the business, you know, right before we speak, um, whatever kind of the biggest thing that I'm like, shoot, I wish I had done this that then becomes my biggest thing I wish I had done. You know, there's so many, but um, given the current state of the business and watching where we are, I think the thing I wish I had done sooner um, was set up infrastructure. Mm. Um, and, you know, I often think that in medicine, which is something I'm really interested in or in mental health, which falls under medicine in some ways, um, you know, clinicians talk about preventative care versus, you know, like crisis care, right? And so it's, you know, a much more sustainable practice to have patients and people seek care, uh, seek preventative care, you know, anticipating, like, just maintaining health and making sure they have support in place um, if something were to happen and to try to prevent um, issues from happening as opposed to just running to the ER when it's too late or when you're now in crisis and the care you're getting is kind of scrambled and you're just trying to like make it through. Um, similarly, I think in business, um, I went through, I didn't know better and I didn't have the expertise to know this, to know that I shouldn't have done this, but I was very much in preventative care mode in that I was just dodging issues as they came up. Um, and part of that was that then I didn't have, you know, um, even if I was learning from those experiences, I wasn't documenting what worked, what didn't, so I could go back to it later or have manuals. Um, so I think now, you know, in the past few years when we've been trying to kind of, um, sorry, I, I think I, so yeah, that's the crisis mode that I was in, not, yeah, that's the crisis mode. I may have called it preventative by accident, but now that um, we're kind of like, after the fact, trying to be in preventative mode, um, just, in, I think, in business, it's more anticipatory, mm. getting ready for what you need. Um, I realize how much like stuff and time I had that could have been used now, but we're going back and creating systems or we're creating systems from scratch. And that is money, that is energy, that is a lot of resources. Um, so I think, I always say, use the hit by a truck method. God forbid someone gets hit by a truck. Um, 
how can you keep notes that will let someone come in and as smoothly as possible kind of you know help you do your work or do your job it's not so practical but i do that you know in my own you know like for research at you know at school i always when i'm coding i say like okay let's say god forbid i got hit by a truck and someone were to read my code I want to have everything written down. I consider that kind of a system in place. So I really wish um, I had developed systems sooner. I think we've been extremely successful, but, and I don't want to kind of like be like, oh, we could have been bigger. But the truth is because of the way I went about just always being in crisis mode and dealing with issues as they arose, I think that probably set me back a little bit and that's okay, but it's annoying. Um, and so if I were doing it again, I would totally make sure I had system set up, systems from, you know, documenting um, protocols, documenting um, interactions with customers and um, ways, you know, plans to grow, um, crisis plans, all of that, um, I think, you know, is just so important. Um, and that's something that, again, isn't discussed because um, that's really time consuming and it's a hassle. Um, but it's like, I mean, the return on investment is huge for that. Oh my gosh. It's like you're reading my mind today because what you just said, I'm like, yup. Um, to give people like my own example, and I have never said this publicly until the date of this recording. So everyone is going to be some of the first to know, but I actually had a team member who put in her notice and this was actually probably a month ago as of this recording, she put in her notice and it was an immediate. So it wasn't a two week notice. It was an immediate one. And this team right. member was working for me for at least 30 hours per week. And so I was in that crisis mode that you were talking yes. about. I hadn't documented any of the processes or tasks that she was doing or how she was doing it. And I was scrambling to find someone that I literally needed to hire that morning because I I just had so much work that I could not do and I needed someone to fill that role to do it. And it took me so much time to train the new person and document everything to pass it off to this new person. Yeah. And I was kicking myself yes. the entire time because I'm like, if I had just set this up beforehand and taken the time, I wouldn't be in this position right now. And now having to use time that I already don't have to create something like this. So Noah, what you said, I think is really, really important. And I think businesses, no matter what size you are, even if you're just starting out, or if you have a team of 10, you absolutely need to be documenting everything because yeah. you never know. I love your method, that hit by a truck method. You never know when that's going to come in. Exactly. And you know, when we had our first CEO and she was there for a year, um, I remember when she gave notice, um, I went home crying. Like I was like, I rely on her. Um, and now I'm going to scramble as I'm finding someone. And as the school year was about to start, I'm going to have to step in for her and I'm going to have to kind of like scramble. And I don't want that to take a toll on the quality of my service. And um, I just, when I remember I was in 10th grade, when I cried, I was like, okay, this is not good. Like I knew I had to change something um, because the truth is that, especially in a business like mine and yours, the people that our customers speak to and then they make it happen, it's people, the people who run the business and are involved in it are important in any business. But I think especially in ours, it's the people who are on the phones who are making it happen 
they're the core of the business, but you also, so you, as much as, and you also want to, you know, um, embrace them and make sure that they know that they're valued and appreciated. But at the same time, you don't want to, um, rely on them in a way that you can't live without them. Because the truth is as important as they are, um, and as much as they, you know, may feel like they're giving their all, they may get up and go. Um, right. even if you, even if you thought they were loyal to you, it's not that they're lack of loyal, lack of loyalty. They're just, you know, improving in their career. And that shouldn't be something that's a crisis. I think, um, I think that there's this hard balance of recognizing and investing in good people because it's like organ rejection, right? A good person helps the same kind of amount as a bad person can hurt. So investing in good people is critical, but also making sure that you're investing in your staff in a way that you're also investing in like just the systems and the protocols that you're providing them, like giving them resources that can then be replicated or transferred on, um, you know, for a sustainable business. So what you said, it's, it, I mean, we're both saying it and I have a feeling people will listen to this and they'll be like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And it will go in one ear out the other. Cause it is so annoying to kind of do this preventative and anticipatory work. But then you, like, I think everyone's going to make that mistake. And then once they have an experience, like you had, like I've had several times, then they'll be like, shoot, now I really have to do it. And I wish I had done it sooner. Yeah. So hopefully someone will listen to this and actually <laughs> Hope, you know, yeah. take it to heart. Yeah put it into place because I I remember when this happened, I had already been thinking about hiring a second person um, because there was just so much work to be done and it just needed to be delegated even more. So it wasn't just falling on one person. And I remember one of the first business coaches that I hired, she had said, when you finally decide to hire someone, it's going to be when it's too late. And so that's that immediately popped in my mind. I'm like, I should hire before I'm ready because I love that. It's so true. (laughs) It is so true. And I think I'm always someone who's, you know, I'm very, um, I'm I'm a risk taker in some ways, but also very risk averse. And so I'm always like, I think it's, you know, I don't know if we should, or we're ready to hire a new person or invest in this. But the truth is that if you wait till you're ready, it's going to be too late. It's like too late. I always say when I give talks, my middle school principal um, had this quote, early is on time, on time is late, late is unacceptable. Like if you're doing it late, you know, of course it's never too late, but it's going to be a hassle. If you're doing it early, um, it's going to be way bound to be way more successful, way smoother when you actually like need it, you already have it or the person. Um, and if you're doing it on time, it's still, it's going to be a hassle. Like the longer you wait, the harder it's going to be. 100%. Noah, why do you think it's so important for individuals to start a business at a young age specifically? I mean, I think, um, it's a care, it's character building and it exposes you to the world. Like, I think, um, we may be in bubbles or in communities where, were, you know, sheltered. I, I, you know, am, um, I love living in New York because it's super diverse, but I also recognize that um, I haven't experienced the world and I don't know I, what people go through. And I think um, being an entrepreneur, the hardest, actually, that's not the, I mean, I, I hate the whole, you know, having to pick like the hardest, easiest. So I won't say one of the hard things is, um, 
this empathy factor because mm-hmm. um, it's something I'm still working on, but a good entrepreneur has empathy um, and is a good leader, you know, empathy for the customers, empathy for the vendors, empathy for your employees, empathy for everyone that you encounter or you may have an impact on, right? Because we're, I think that, I hope, we're doing this from a place of wanting to make a difference. Um, and if we feel removed from the people that we're hoping to help and impact, um, it's less meaningful. So I think that the necessity, this kind of um, need to be empathetic is something that we may not otherwise develop as we're growing up. Um, and I think like kind of to the character building piece, but I also think that um, the way in which it's taught me to go about solving problems um, is huge. You know, I um, my interests are really broad and I'm now studying cognitive neuroscience at Brown and I'm, I love, um, I do research in a few labs um, and I always like kind of look at the issues when we're reading a study or we're designing a study, I look at them differently than the people who are, you know, whose background is in academia or in medicine. Um, and I was talking to someone recently and she was like, whoa, that's such a great idea. Like I had an idea for something and it was a very simple idea, but it was because I came at it in, by like through an entrepreneurial lens, you know, and um, it's the way that this entrepreneurial mindset with solving problems can um, influence you. It can influence you across the board in academic research, you know, in your relationships with friends and family um, in, you know, in so many ways. So I think that um, the way you view the world is different and this, the character building part one I was talking about and this problem solving piece, which is more about like the nitty gritty business stuff go hand in hand, right? Together, they just give you this um, additional view of the world. And I think, especially now with Zoom, you know, I've seen a lot of um, kind of conferences and programs that are bringing people around the world to connect. Um, We have even a bigger opportunity to view the world in a new way. Um, And so I think it's such an exciting time to be an entrepreneur because, the world is like desperate for new perspectives. And, you know, once you lose your entrepreneurship virginity, you're like in it. And I think now is a great time to lose your entrepreneurship virginity because now more than ever, the, the world needs new ideas, new hope, new passion, like that raw, that raw angle. Um, we need it so, so badly. And I think it's easy to feel pessimistic. Um, and feel like, what can I do? But like the power of an individual person and is just like so infinite. And look, like I'm getting all philosophical because um, there's a lot going on in our country right now and a lot of uncertainty, but I really do believe um, that in my lowest times, um, when I felt like I, you know, was, kind of on my own, even though I did have support, I didn't, I felt on my own. That's when I think I was um, a really great entrepreneur because I was desperate to see the world through other people's eyes and to gain connection. So I think in 
our hardest moments, it kind of is like a trampoline. You know, you bend, the lower you bend, it's kind of like the lower down we are in the world. The jump, you know, the lower you bend, the higher the jump is gonna be. So jumping into stuff now, um, I pray and hope that soon things will be better and they'll be better because people decided to take action, whether it's politically, um, you know, entrepreneurially in whatever way, because they came down when we were at our lowest and helped us from that low point get to our highest point. Um, so I will, yeah. I think, yes, so exactly what you said. And, and I wanna start off by saying one, I'm so glad that you mentioned character building because often when I ask this question, a lot of our podcast guests will say, it's great to start your business while you're young because you don't have responsibilities like a mortgage or kids or anything like that, which that is, too. Which is that, true, that too. Yeah. but I just really appreciate that your answer came from a different perspective. And like you said, being able to see the world out of a different lens. And I mean, I can totally relate to that too. And I, before I started my business, I was extremely shy and totally introverted. And I would go to uh, give like a presentation in class and I would have a wobbly voice and my face would be all red and I would be incredibly nervous. And now entrepreneurship has totally built out my character so that I feel comfortable doing stuff like this and I enjoy it and I feel way more confident. And so I just really wanted to say that I appreciated your answer because I think that it's a huge bonus of entrepreneurship is just having your character built out and really being able to build that confidence and see the world in a different light. Exactly. And you know, actually, I do want to say that I think the way that I speak about entrepreneurship and most of us do, entrepreneurship is kind of like synonymous with creating a business or an organization. And I actually think um, you don't have to wait or assume that you have to start something because that may be something that you don't have the time to do, the resources to do, or the desire to do. But um, there are ways, you know, like we kind of, it's not obviously entrepreneurship is not a cult, but it's like this kind of um, mindset and this way of life that we're discussing as being so beneficial and um, so, you know, has such a big impact on our lives. And you don't, it's not that in order to experience that you need to start a business. Um, there's so many resources just in terms of entrepreneurial thinking or just like, you know, um, engaging in practices of looking at problems in the world and making solutions just like for practice so that you aren't actually going to implement. So I also want to emphasize entrepreneurship is not um, restricted to creating, um, you know, some kind of organization. It also can just be a practice and something that you decide to delve into and understand and, re you know, hear from entrepreneurs, read about them, read about entrepreneurial practices to kind of let that inform the way you live your life. Um, so it's not exclusive to those who are able to and who want to create businesses. Absolutely. Noah, this has been such an amazing episode that I know our listeners will find to be so valuable because I know I do. But I would love to ask you that if there was one last piece of advice you could share with our listeners for someone who may just be starting out, what would it be? Oh my God. Um... I mean, as you can tell, it's like, there's so much, the, you know, the best way to really picture that is like, what would I say if I could go back in time and talk to myself? Um, and it's such a loaded question for me. You know, clearly this is stuff I love talking about. And I've eight years is a long time as a 20 year old, I've learned like a lot and I've, you know, made so many mistakes. And um, 
I hesitate to give um, what I think is the best thing I'd want to kind of say to someone starting because it sounds so cliche. And I think when we hear cliche advice, we're like, okay, of course you're going to say that it's going in one ear out the other people like practical advice. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to stick with giving the cliche advice because I really do believe it. And I think that is, um, it's going to be okay. Um, everything works out or it will like, I just, I don't know. I just want to emphasize, um, I don't know who's going to listen to this or anything, but, um, like be, it's just, I think there are so many difficult things you go through as an entrepreneur. Um, you know, it's, it's not always as glamorous and sexy as it's kind of depicted on social media and, the, and just in the media in general. Um, it will be okay. And um, seek out support. Um, like the world has, there are so many incredible, I mean, the world is filled with just unbelievably incredible people and people wanna help, you know, sometimes it can feel like things are competitive or they're pitted against you, but there are always good people who wanna help and who wanna see you succeed, even if they don't know you. Oftentimes the people who don't know you may be the ones that surprise you and give you the most help. So it will be okay um, and seek out help, put yourself out there. Um, there's some things that can't happen unless you take a risk and ask someone for help. You don't need to do it all on your own. I love that because I think too, as entrepreneurs, we're guilty of being, of feeling like we need to do everything our, ourselves yes. or we should do everything ourselves. I know that it took me so long to let go because I'm like, I'm going to look like an imposter if I'm not doing everything myself. But no, I mean, and it's, it's, similar, you said, it's funny so because true. it's, it's like being a mom, you know, like having to let go a little bit. Um, actually, maybe in this case, maybe that's not like an awesome analogy, but I think just coming back for a sec, this idea of willing to ask for help. You know, I speak to moms who are like, I thought I wasn't going to get a nanny or I wasn't going to get help and I was going to do it all on my own, but it's just not working. And I'm, embar I'm embarrassed to say I need help. And I always like trying to encourage people, don't be embarrassed. Like I'm so, I'm honored that you would call and that you're admitting you need help. Like that's such a big step. So similarly, I try to tell myself that message. Like I shouldn't be embarrassed or ashamed. I need help. Um, that's a sign that I know I'm listening to myself and my business and I know what I need. Um, so be proud of yourself for seeking out help. It's not a sign of weakness. Yes, absolutely. Noah, I've really, really enjoyed this episode and I'm super excited to be sharing it with our audience. But now I'd love if you could share where our listeners can find you in case they'd like to connect with you further. Totally. So um, if you're interested in the business, um, you want to browse through our site. Uh, it's nannies.noah.com. Nannies is spelled N-A-N-N-I-E-S. People can spell it with a Y. And um, Noah is N-O-A without the H. Um, though I'm sure if you Google it, it will autocorrect because many people assume it's N-O-A-H. Um, and we're on Facebook. Um, I kind of tag team our social media. So it's very like raw and, um, you know, it's not like super polished and in third person, I post sometimes um, on there with my colleagues. So um, you'll see some things I post about myself and my journey on our Instagram, Nannies by Noah, our Facebook, Nannies by Noah. Um, and I'm on Twitter as um, Noah Mintz, I believe. It should, if you surf Noah Mintz Twitter or something, it should come up. It's not too hidden. Um, I keep telling myself I need to post often. Um, 
but I have yet to do that. That's another goal of mine, but I love talking to people and I love hearing other people's stories. And if, you know, my experience in itself can help someone be successful just by hearing what worked and what didn't, I'm happy to give that support. So um, it makes me happy to hear from people. It makes me excited. Um, so feel free to reach out on LinkedIn, on Twitter. Um, and I do have a website, noamince.com, another project I need to update. Um, so it isn't too recent, but yeah, I, you know, I think um, I want to connect with people, you know, as much as I can, obviously things are crazy right now. And, um, you know, I'm a student um, and I do like a bunch of different things, research-wise, business-wise. So um, I don't have endless time, but I do care and I, um, you know, want to continue um, devoting a significant amount of my time to helping other entrepreneurs. So reach out um, and I hope I can be a resource either directly or indirectly for people. Yes. Love it. And I will make sure to put all of those links in the show notes in case our listeners missed out so they can click through from there. But Noah, thank you so much again for being a guest today. Thank you for having me. And I'm, you know, I love your episodes and I'm just super excited to keep hearing what you're doing um, and keep following along. Thanks so much for listening today. I'd love it if you could subscribe, leave a review and share this episode with those who could use it most. For show notes and more information, go to studenttoceo.com forward slash podcast.